Are you all in? Do you love Jesus with all your heart? Could your devotion to the Lord be characterized as wholehearted devotion? Are you all in? We're going to see in Psalm 138 that David is all in. He's a worshiper of wholehearted dependence upon the Lord. Wholehearted love for the Lord. I think there's some things our church can learn from this psalm. So turn with me to Psalm 138. Psalm 138. We'll begin reading in verse 1. I'm going to ask you this morning, if you're physically able, to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's inerrant, inspired, infallible word. Just a quick quick word. It's good to be back. We've been on uh, vacation, so it's a thrill to be back with you. It's always good to come back from vacation and your key still works. And so, glad to be back, and there's nowhere like Longview Point. We are so excited to be back worshiping with you today. Psalm 138, verse 1, the Bible says, I will give you thanks with all my heart. Mark that phrase, all my heart. I will sing praises to you before the gods. I will bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word according to all your name. On the day I called, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth will give thanks to you, O Lord, when they have heard the words of your mouth. And they will sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly. But the haughty, the proud, he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch forth your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. I like that. Your loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Do not forsake the work, the works of your hands. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we are so grateful, Lord, for this privilege that we call corporate worship. Lord, that we can get together in the same room as a faith family and sing and praise your name and and bow our hearts before your word and let you speak into our lives. What a privilege. What a joy. And I pray, Father, that this this time of worship would, would not be church as usual. I pray that you would deliver us from just going through the motions today. And I pray that we would leave knowing we have had an encounter with God, the living God. So Lord, just change our lives. Lift up the strong and matchless name of Jesus. Holy Spirit of God, work in our midst with power. We'll thank you for that grace. Lord, establish my steps in your word, and we ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, the context of this psalm is David thanking the Lord for his provision when 
encountered by and surrounded by enemies. We're not sure exactly what situation David is dealing with here because most of David's life uh, was uh, lived with enemies surrounding him. He had uh, many battles with the Philistines and there was a, a long period of his life where he was on the run from King Saul who was trying to kill him. You remember that story as we studied the book of First Samuel. And so David is calling on God yet again in the midst of his battles, his encounter with enemies, asking for God's help. And the very beginning of this psalm, David expresses to God that he is all in. He expresses that he is thanking the Lord, he's praising the Lord with all his heart. Now this is a big deal because God says it's a big deal. Wholehearted love and devotion for, for, for God. Over in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Lord says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Over in the book of Matthew, when Jesus was asked by a lawyer, which was the greatest commandment in the law, Jesus repeated that commandment from Deuteronomy 6 and added a phrase. Jesus said, the greatest commandment is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Jesus was saying that when you come to follow the Lord, when you come to experience the Lord, you need to be all in. Over in Jeremiah chapter 29, we're reminded in verse 13 that if we seek the Lord, listen, with all of our heart, He will be found. You want to find the Lord? You want to experience and encounter the living God? You've got to seek Him with all your heart. God wants you to be all in. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Now this is a, a good time in the life of our church to focus on this. Next week is, is the first Sunday of August. Getting back in the swing of things, starting back school and all of that. We'll be starting a study next week in the book of Colossians, line by line. Verse by verse, can't wait to begin that study with you. And we've got some ministry starting back and some programs starting back here in the, the end of the summer. And so there's a lot of things getting ready to happen. And this is a good time for our church to pause and say, are we all in? Could our worship and service for King Jesus be characterized as wholehearted? Now, unless that seems like too nebulous a thought, that what does it mean to be wholehearted? There's some characteristics here that help us understand what it means to be wholehearted, what it means to love the Lord with all your heart, what it looks like on a day-by-day -day basis to be a wholehearted follower of Christ. And these three things I want to share with you come straight from Psalm 138. So we're going to see what it looks like to love the Lord with all your heart. Now, just kind of a warning on the front end. Point number one is, is out of proportion with the rest of the sermon. Okay, point number one is going to take a lot longer than the rest, the other two points. So, when I'm going long on point one, don't worry, I'll get you out on time. All right? All right. But here's point one. What does it mean to love the Lord with all your heart? It means undivided worship. Undivided worship. Now, look what David says there in verse one. I will give you thanks with all my heart. I will sing praises to you before the gods. Now, in this day and time, there were many worshipers of false pagan gods in the land. There were people that worshipped 
Molech and people that worship Baal and other pagan deities. All false gods. And what David is saying here is this. As I'm surrounded by the worship of false gods, I will boldly, unapologetically worship the one true God. I'm going to do it out in the open so everyone knows that my worship is for the one true God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Undivided worship. He's saying, my heart will not be divided among the different gods. The one true God has all of my heart. And that's what wholehearted worship is. Wholehearted worship means, listen, that the one true God has all of your attention, your affection, that's your love, and your allegiance. That's what wholehearted worship is. That the one true God has all of your attention, all of your affection, all of your allegiance. Now, you may have not run into any bell worshipers this past week or seen someone putting up an Asherah pole in their front yard last week. But can I tell you this? There are many false gods in our land. Many false gods. Some people worship the God of money. They think if they can just get more money or more stuff or take hold of more material possessions, then they'll have life. Then they'll have fulfillment. Then they'll have real joy and peace in their life. But that never delivers, does it? Some people are, are, are worshiping success, trying to climb the ladder and get to a, a certain point in their life, thinking if I can just get to that point in my life, then I'll really have happiness in my life. Some people worship appearance. If I can put on appearances before other people, make them think this about me, then, then I'll be happy in my life. Some people worship the God of immorality. They think if I just pursue my pleasure, do what I want to do, and, and do my own thing, and it doesn't matter what God says, then, then I'll be happy. It's all about me, numero uno. And in this increasingly secular culture, we have people all around us worshiping all different types of gods. And so we've got to make a determination to be like David. As we are surrounded by all these false gods, we will boldly, unashamedly, unapologetically worship the one true God, the one who has revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ, the one that can only be known through Jesus. That's the God that we are going to worship in our secular culture. That God has all of our attention. He has all of our affection. He has all of our allegiance. Our heart is not divided among these other gods. The one true God has all of our hearts. Undivided worship. See, a lot of folks divide up their heart with all these other gods, and they give the one true God the leftovers of their life. That's not wholehearted devotion to the Lord. And so, I want to give you some characteristics of wholehearted worship. So you say, wait, am I a wholehearted worshiper? Let me give you some characteristics that emerge from the text that will help you to understand if you're a wholehearted worshiper. These are some characteristics you can lay your life beside and say, okay, I see that in my life, or I don't see that in my life. So, let me give you six characteristics of wholehearted worship. Characteristic number one is thanksgiving. Look in verse one. I will give you thanks... With all my heart. David was a passionate worshiper of the Lord, and he exemplified this through ongoing gratitude for who the Lord was and what the Lord had done in his life. And wholehearted worshipers, listen, are grateful people. Wholehearted worshipers recognize how great God is. Wholehearted worshipers recognize 
that anything good in their life is there as a result of God's grace in their life. They recognize God's greatness. They recognize God's hand. They are grateful people, people of thanksgiving. And there's really no better illustration of this than in the book of Luke. When Jesus heals ten lepers. Leprosy was an awful disease. It, it disfigured you and because it was contagious, you had to be separated from society. You had to be shut off from those that you loved. You could not be around uh, the, the public. And Jesus encounters these ten lepers and he miraculously, supernaturally, because he's God, heals them of this awful disease. And understandably, they are thrilled. I mean, they're jumping around. They're excited. They're going their merry way. Boy, we are free of the leprosy. We're healed from the leprosy. And, and then one of the ten, one of the ten, stops and says, Wait a minute. Somebody did this for us. And he turns around. And he goes back. And the Bible says, Falls at the feet of Jesus to say, Thank you question are you more like the nine experiencing and enjoying the blessing of God but failing to say thank you or are you more like the one that recognizes the grace of God in your life the majesty of the God you serve and you spend time at his feet saying thank you wholehearted worshipers are grateful folks and if there's no gratitude in your life maybe it's because the lord does not have all of your heart here's the second characteristic of wholehearted worship it's singing singing it's practical isn't it look what it says there in verse one i'll give you thanks with all my heart i will sing praises to you before the gods so he said, not only am I making this declaration of worshiping the one true God, I'm going to sing to you. Everybody's going to see me and hear me singing to you. Singing. I believe that singing is one of the marks, one of the characteristics of wholehearted worship. If you read the Bible, even just a little bit, you will come to the unmistakable conclusion that God has ordained music as a primary means to express our love and devotion to Him. You just can't miss it. I mean, it's everywhere, all throughout the Bible. When they're worshiping at the temple and kings and chronicles, they are, they are setting aside worship leaders and musicians so that the people can be led in expressing their praise to God through song. I mean, just read the Psalms. Everywhere it talks about singing praises to God. And I believe that wholehearted worshipers will not have to be prompted to sing. That singing becomes just a part of who they are. My family has come to really love that song. It plays on K-Love right now about being a child of the one true king. Talking about being changed and being redeemed. And, and then he says in that song, Amazing grace is the song I sing. When I've been changed by the grace of God, when I've been called out of the darkness into His marvelous light, when I've been delivered from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son, I've got to sing of His grace. I mean, there, there's just no other option. There's a, there's a song on my heart and a song on my lips. That's what David's saying. I will sing your praises 
before all the other gods. Now, let me just say this, and I, I say this lovingly and pastorally because you know I care about you. You don't have, you need me to say that to you. And, and this may hurt some feelings. And this won't be the only point that's going to hurt feelings. I'm just giving that <laughs> heads up. I have a hard time understanding someone that says, I love Jesus, but can't sing. There's a, there's a disconnect there. Now, I understand because I've been there. When I, when I was growing up as a child, my brother told me, you know, he was a teenager at the time, he never said, Wade, you sound awful. I was thinking, I'll fly away or something like that. And he told me I sounded awful. So you know what I did? I quit singing for years. You've heard this story. For years, I didn't sing. I would just stand there stoically in the pew and would watch everyone else sing, but I would not sing. Until later in my teenage years, maybe almost college, my pastor was preaching, and he was talking about singing. And it's funny what happens when the Word of God is preached. Amen? And God used that to convict my heart and show me that I was, I was wrong and I needed to sing. Because ultimately, it doesn't matter what my brother thinks. Right? What matters is what God thinks. And, and from that point on, I began to sing, and I love to sing. There's a Listen, God has been good to me. I, I've received the grace of my Lord Jesus Christ. I, I've got a song on my heart. I just do. I sing in my car. If you ever, you ever pass me and I'm acting crazy, I'm singing, I'm worshiping. How about you? Do you have a song on your heart? Do you even sing when we give you the great opportunity week after week to gather together corporately and sing? Do you sing? It's the mark of wholehearted worship. I mean, can you imagine? Just think for a moment. When we get to heaven, and, and the Bible says we're going to be gathered around the throne of Jesus with people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Wouldn't that be glorious? Can you imagine everybody singing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, and you just stand there stoically? Can you imagine that? course not. You say, well, when I'm around the throne, I'm going to be singing. Buddy, I'm going to be singing worthy is the Lamb. Listen to me. Is Jesus any less present right now in this room? I, I mean, when we get to heaven, we'll be able to see Him by sight, but right now we see Him through faith. And He's here, right? So if you say, well, I'll praise Him in heaven, why can't you praise Him now? With your song. Just can't imagine what it looks like. For God to look at his people gathered to worship, this is stoic. And, and the solution is not to start moving your lips and letting sound come over your vocal cord. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying, well, just start singing and you'll love Jesus more. No, I'm saying, you need to ask God to put a song on your heart. Because your lack of singing probably indicates you're not wholeheartedly in love with him. So ask God to do a work in your heart and a song will be there. Singing. Next is reverence for his name. Look in verse 2. It says, I will bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name. Now we know the name of God represents the character and nature of God. So for David to say that, that I'm giving praise to his name, I'm, I'm having reverence for his name, is for him to say, I have reverence for God. His name represents him. Who he is, who he truly is. So I'm worshiping him in, in spirit and truth. I'm, I'm, I'm having reverence for his name. That's what he means. Reverence for God himself. 
and, and wholehearted worshipers will have a deep reverence for the name of God as that touchstone by which they know Him. And then fourth, there'll be reverence for His Word. Look in verse 2. I will bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. So he's saying there's this body of truth you've given us. It's your word, and I'm so grateful for it. It's what David's saying. I'm giving thanks to your name for your truth. And then he says, look what he says in verse 2. For you have magnified your word according to all your name. Now there are some translation difficulties here. There's some debate over how the latter part of this verse is translated. Literally, in the Hebrew, the phrase is, you have magnified your word above all your name. So some people say that's how you translate it, that God's word is above his name. It's to have that much reverence in our lives. Other translators have guessed that the letter Vav, the Hebrew letter Vav, which means and, has been erroneously omitted from the Masoretic text, the Hebrew text. And so they put that and back in there and translate it like the NIV and the ESV, which says, you have exalted above all things your name and your word. They put those things together on an equal plane. NASB kind of takes a middle road and translates the preposition according to, so it reads like this. You have magnified your word according to all your name or in line with all your name. That phrase according to, that preposition, could be translated uh, above. It could be translated in addition to. I think the best reading here is this. You have magnified your word in addition to all your names. So instead of going with above that preposition, I go with in addition to. It's a, it's a, a valid translation. You have magnified your word in addition to all your name. So if the word is up there on the same level as the name of God, it must be pretty important, right? And you cannot be a wholehearted worshiper and not take his word seriously. It's just not going to happen. This weekend I was at a little conference and Tommy Bowden was speaking. He's the son of Bobby Bowden. And he was talking about in his early 40s how he was going around the country, well-known football coach, and speaking to faith-based groups. And he said his message was to everyone, my three priorities in this order are faith, family, and football. Those are the orders of my priorities. And he said, he got to thinking one day, you know, I tell everybody that my first priority is faith and my third is football. But he thought, you know what, I know football a whole lot better than I know my Bible. As a matter of fact, I'm telling everyone that my first priority is faith and I haven't even read the entire Bible. There are a huge part of that. He's, he was 42 years old when he came to this conclusion. Huge parts I've not read. And so he started systematically reading the Word of God to say, how can I say that faith is my number one priority when I don't take His Word seriously? And he began to take God's Word seriously. How about you? You have a reverence for the Word, a hunger for the Word, a, a desire to learn from the Word and study the Word and read the Word and the Word to be central in your life. Wholehearted worshipers have a reverence for the Word of God. And then, wholehearted worshipers are people of prayer. Look in verse 3. On the day I called, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. I love that verse. On the day I called, you... Now, I love that description of prayer. What is prayer, Wade? Prayer is calling out to God. 
See, some of you in this room don't pray. And here's the reason you don't pray. You don't pray because you grew up in a church, and the only people you heard pray out loud was the pastor and the deacons. And, and when they prayed, they used this Elizabethan English. Vows and these and beseeches. That's how they prayed. And, and, and your thought growing up was, that is beautiful. Man, that's how you pray, and I'll never be able to pray like that. So because you think you can't duplicate that, that high-sounding language, you just don't pray at all because you don't have the right lingo. Listen to me. Prayer is not talking to God in King James English. Prayer at its essence is just talking to God. It's calling out to Him. Help! Help my marriage! Watch over my kids! Bless my business! Help! Guide me! Lead me! Help me! That, that's what prayer is. God, you're great. God, you're glorious. Thank you for what you've done. God, I've blown it. I, I repent cleanse me from that sin that's what prayer is calling out to god and david says because i'm a wholehearted worshiper i call on the lord and he strengthens my soul i like that you want soul strength call on the name of the lord a person that is wholehearted in worship will be a person of of prayer and then a person of wholehearted worship is is a person that has a concern for god's glory look in verse four all the kings of the earth will give thanks to you, O Lord, when they have heard the words of your mouth. They will sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Now, here's what he's saying. There's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he even says, the kings of the earth will see your wisdom and greatness and sing praises to your name. Can you imagine a gathering of the world's leaders right now? They get together... The presidents from different countries, they get together and start singing praise songs to Jesus. Can you imagine what that would look like? And David's saying, I'm a king. And there's a time coming when all the kings will recognize your authority and your wisdom and your majesty and your grace and your greatness. That day's coming. But then look what he says, verse 5. For great is the glory of the Lord. The reason God's name will be magnified is because He is worthy of worship and worthy of praise and worthy of glory. Now listen, if that day is coming, when everyone will recognize the glory of Christ, shouldn't we give Him glory in the here and now? I mean, why wait for that day? If we've been redeemed, if we are wholehearted worshipers, we should recognize that it's all about His glory now. And I do what I do for his glory. Do you have a concern for the glory, the fame, the renown of, of, of the Lord? Do you want to see his greatness go forth so that people who are far from God will hear of his goodness and run to him and experience his salvation through Christ? Do you have a concern for the ongoing, ever-expanding glory of God? A wholehearted worshiper learns to take their eyes off of themselves and place them on the glory of God. And so those are six characteristics of wholehearted worship. Now I want to give you a picture as a juxtaposition, a comparison, to show you how fickle we can be toward God, but how passionate we can be toward other things. We're in Mississippi. We're in the Bible Belt, right? Right? 
We're also in the middle of football crazy folks. Right? I mean, we love our football. We really do. And I'm speaking from experience. Let me tell you my, my childhood. My parents were season ticket holders to Florida State football games. So I remember in the fall of every year, we'd get up on Saturdays early in the morning, and we'd load up the vehicle, load up food and drinks and all that kind of stuff, and we'd drive up to Tallahassee about an hour from our house, and we'd, we'd find some, some other folks that were friends of ours, and we'd park and we'd tailgate. I mean, hours before the game, we were there just to eat. That's what we did, just to eat. And then we'd eat our food, and we'd walk, I bet it was a good mile to the stadium. And guess what? Weather didn't matter. If it was raining, you know what we did? We put on ponchos. And we'd walk a mile to the game, and we'd stay there for hours, shoulder to shoulder with other sweaty folks, standing in line to go to the bathroom, and yelling our head off. There was no question whether we were wholehearted about the Seminoles. We'd scream and yell and tomahawk chop and all that. Game get over. We'd take that long walk back to our vehicle, get in the vehicle, get home late at night, and collapse into our beds. I mean, the entire day spent on, on a football game. Now, I'm not saying there's any wrong with, anything wrong with liking football. I love football. You know that. But when you compare it to our worship of the Lord Jesus Christ, it, it just makes us look silly, doesn't it? Makes us look silly. Well, you know, wait, I, I, would, I would get out for uh, church this morning, but I mean, it's raining outside. I mean, you can't expect me, I mean, you can't expect me to get out there in the rain and get my family wet to come and worship Jesus. Can, can I tell you something as your pastor? Get a poncho. Get a poncho. You'll be all right. We got a portico that you can drop folks off and they won't get wet. You say, wait, there might be a line there. Well, you wait in line to go to the bathroom at a football game. Right? Well, I tell you, the church is getting too big and too crowded. You'll stand there for three hours by someone you don't even know and know what kind of deodorant they have on. And, and then you're telling me that, that it's too crowded for you to come and give praise to the one who saved your soul? It just looks silly, doesn't it? It looks silly how fickle and how our hearts are divided toward the Lord. You say, wait, well, it's just tough to, it's just tough to get my kids out that early. And, and get, we got a family of, of, of small kids. I mean, it's just really tough to do that. Listen to me. I drop off my kids at school every every year and, and every day of the school year, and I see y'all out there at 7 o'clock in the morning running around like crazy, people dropping your kids off. You, you manage to do it for school. Right? And, and, and I know, because I, I'm a, I have a family with kids, I know what it's like to get out for the day and go to the zoo and go to the mall and get those big heavy strollers out and put them out and then put them back in and then get them out and, and strap your kid in and put them in the car seat. And I know that you'll do that, but you won't do it to go worship Jesus. Explain it to me. Help me to understand what the deal is. The deal is our hearts. We're not wholehearted 
we're fickle. And, and we'll get around to worshiping God if we have time or if it's convenient. It's not first place and preempt our lives. Now, I want to be careful to say this. I'm not talking about just coming to church. Okay? I'm not, I'm not saying that coming to church is the end-all, be-all. There are folks that come to church that are lost and far from God. Come to church doesn't save you. Only Jesus saves you. Can I get an amen? It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, what we do here is we worship Jesus together. And if God has all of your heart, surely you want to be a part of that, right? Surely you want to be a part of that. And so we see the first characteristic of those that love the Lord with all their heart is undivided worship. That's point number one. I told you it was going to go long, all right? So real quickly, let's look at point number two. The second thing that it means to love the Lord with all your heart is unquestioned dependence. Unquestioned dependence. Look in verse 6. For though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly. What a verse. If you look on your notes, the Lord draws near to those that know they need him. He's a high and transcendent God. He is awesome in his splendor and majesty and holiness, and yet he draws near to folks and say, I need you, God. But the opposite is also true. The Lord stays distant from the self-dependent. Look in verse 6. But the haughty, the proud, he knows from afar. Look at me. God keeps his distance from proud people. People that think they don't need him, they can do life without him, God keeps his space. He keeps his distance. And that should be terrifying to you and to me. See, what I'm saying is this. David understood that God is the one who protects and delivers. Look in verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch forth your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. David was utterly, totally dependent upon the Lord for victory. David's saying, I'm in a mess, and if I'm going to be at, get out of this mess, it's going to be because God shows up. Unquestioned dependence upon God. You see, wholehearted people, and this phrase is worth you coming this morning. You ready? Wholehearted people are dependent people. Folks that love the Lord with all their heart are folks that know how desperate they are for God. That nothing good will come from their life without the Lord's help. Wholehearted people are dependent people. And here's an encouragement for you. God is actively looking to support dependent people. Now something interesting happens in the book of 2 Chronicles. I'm going to tell you the story very, very quickly. Over in 2 Chronicles 13, there's a war between Abijah, who is the king of Judah, the southern kingdom, and Jeroboam, who is the king of the northern kingdom, or called Israel. There's a civil war going on among God's people, the descendants of Abraham. Now, Abijah, the ruler of Judah, had 400,000 troops at his disposal. But Jeroboam had 800,000 troops. He was outnumbered two to one. So what happens? Abijah and the men of Judah call on the name of the Lord. And the Bible says the Lord defeated Jeroboam. And the Lord gave them a great victory. So the Lord gave the victory to the folks that were dependent upon him. Over in 
Second Chronicles chapter 14, Abijah's son Asa, who surely knew that story, had a quandary in his kingdom. He had about 580,000 troops at his disposal, but he was attacked by the Ethiopians who had one million men. Again, almost two to one odds. So what does Asa do? Asa calls the name of the Lord. And the Lord gave the, the people of Judah a great victory over the Ethiopians. Almost double the force, but because they were dependent, God gave them victory. So, Asa's father had experienced victory when he was dependent. Asa had experienced victory when he was dependent, but then something happens in chapter 16. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, Bashah, the king of Israel, comes to attack Asa and the, the nation of Judah. And what's interesting is this. In this moment, Asa does not go to the Lord for help. He'd seen God give him overwhelming victory when facing two to one odds. He'd seen the Lord get, or he knew about his, the Lord giving his dad overwhelming victory when facing two to one odds. And yet, when he's faced by trouble, he doesn't go to God. He goes to Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria. And the Syrians come to their rescue and deliver them from trouble. But look what the Lord says to Asa over in 2 Chronicles chapter 16. You'll recognize the verse we're about to read. And you'll see it in this context. 2 Chronicles 16, verse 7. At that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you've relied on the king of Aram and have not relied on the Lord your God, Therefore, the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubim an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet, because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. Now, here's the verse you'll recognize. For the eyes of the Lord, watch this, move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. See what he's saying there? Dependent people are people whose hearts are completely mine. That's what God's saying. And when folks are dependent upon me, I will come to help them. I will come to their rescue. So here's the question. When trouble comes knocking at your door, and it does and it will, do you go to the Lord for help? Do you depend upon Him, or do you depend on everyone else except Him? People of wholehearted devotion, those whose hearts are truly His, are people of unquestioned dependence. And let me give you the third reality, and we'll be through. What does it mean to love the Lord with all your heart? It means undivided worship. It means unquestioned dependence. And third, it means unwavering confidence. This is important. Verse 8. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Let me give you two things you as a child of God can be confident in. Number one, we can be confident that God's purpose for our lives will be fulfilled. He says there, the Lord will accomplish what concerns me. The the Lord has a purpose for my life and he'll make it happen. That's what David's saying. It reminds me of Philippians 1.6 where Paul writes that he who began a good work in you will complete it. How many of you understand that God finishes what He starts. And if He started something in your life, He's going to finish it. He's going to accomplish it. You can have confidence in that. But also, we can be confident that God's love will never fail. Look in verse 8. 
the Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Your loving kindness, that word loving kindness is kessed in the Hebrew. It carries with the idea of love and mercy and grace all kind of wrapped up in one. It's a beautiful word. Your loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. David's saying, I never have to doubt your love. Your love will never fail. Now, here's why that's important. Confidence in his purpose, confidence in his love. Here's the final statement I want to give you from your notes. We can be wholehearted towards God because he is wholehearted toward us. Did you hear that? We can be wholehearted towards God because he is wholehearted toward us. Wholehearted devotion and love for the Lord is not us working it up. It's us responding to what he's doing in our life. And the reason we can love him and serve him with a whole heart is because he loves us with a whole heart. Can I ask you a question? Aren't you glad that God's not half-hearted towards you? Are you glad of that? Are you glad God's not lackadaisical concerning you and your salvation and your life? No, God is wholehearted towards you. His loving kindness will never fail. So in response to that, in response to his goodness, in, in response to his grace, we ought to be wholehearted towards him. Paul says, the love of Christ compels me. And Maybe if your heart's not compelled towards Christ, maybe if you don't have, a, have an undivided heart towards the Lord, maybe it's because you don't understand how great his love is towards you. Maybe you don't understand how good he's been to you. You understand that the only proper response can be wholehearted devotion. It's like that song says, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Listen, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul. My life, my all. Are you getting it? Love so amazing, so divine. Demands my soul, my life, my all.